The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks are looking to extend their winning streak to three days in a row, but it may be a fight for some gains today. Congress taking its first steps majorly towards passing that $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. We are live in Washington with the latest there. Meanwhile, shares of eBay, they're surging this morning as it becomes the latest online retail giant reporting very strong earnings results. Apple rolling ahead, motoring, if you will, with its auto ambitions as it prepares to ink a deal on that initiative and hotels making a pivot amid the pandemic, finding success by converting into affordable housing. It's Thursday, February 4th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures indicating a more modest opening bell here. You can see the S&P 500 is implied higher by roughly just two points. We're pretty much flat on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and the Nasdaq is implied higher by roughly 43 points as well. So again, a very steady opening bell predicted, at least with the futures market right now. This after the Dow and the S&P 500 eked out slight gains yesterday. The Nasdaq dipping slightly amid a drop in Amazon shares. Still, though, all three indices are looking at solid gains this week between two and a half and four percent, as you can see here. So we'll see how that plays out in Thursday trading. This morning, investors will be watching that weekly jobless claims number out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time ahead of tomorrow's very big monthly employment report from the government. Let's now go worldwide. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with an early look at the trade in Europe. And it looks like we've got a little bit more of a modest market there as well. Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, we started out in the green here in Europe, but we have seen investors uh, pairing back some of those early gains. We've got the German market and the French market up about 0.2% apiece. The Italian market pulling back slightly after yesterday's strong outperformance. Over in Italy, investors are pricing in what a uh, what a ECB, former ECB president Mario Draghi-led government may look like, and they have cheered that prospect. The FTSE 100 trading around the flat line. We've got the Bank of England decision due later today. UK investors focusing closely on that. No change to policy is expected, but investors are going to be watching for any clues around how the central bank is thinking about the possibility of going down the path of negative interest rates. Now, one deal that is firmly in focus here in the UK, I want to highlight for you, NVIDIA. Both the UK and EU are reportedly set to launch formal investigations into NVIDIA's proposed $40 billion acquisition of UK chip designer Arm. The Financial Times reports that the deal will face serious scrutiny and could eventually be blocked. The agreement has already raised antitrust and national security concerns in the US and China, as competing chipmakers worry NVIDIA could distort the market market for the UK firm's widely used designs. Shares are trading a little bit below the flatline this morning, but overall holding up down about 0.9%. Dom? 
All right. Thank you very much, Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London with the latest there. Now to your morning's top stories. Alphabet CEO and Australia's prime minister holding talks amid the tech giant's threat to pull its Google search engine from that country. Scott Morrison saying today that he had a constructive meeting with Sundar Pichai over Australia's media bill. That legislation would force Internet giants like Google and Facebook to pay for news. Morrison saying Pichai raised concerns about the bill and the two discussed Google's ability to continue providing search for the Australian market. Shares of eBay are surging in the pre-market trade following the company's fourth quarter results. Earnings and revenues for the online retailer topping analyst expectations. eBay also providing first quarter sales and profit guidance that was ahead of Wall Street forecasts. Those shares up nearly 10 percent in the extended hours trade. And Securities and Exchange Commission investigators are apparently digging through social media and online message board posts for potential signs of fraud tied to that big short squeeze volatility that was in play for markets. According to Bloomberg, the probe is being done alongside a review of trading data to figure out whether such posts were part of manipulative efforts to drive up share prices in companies like GameStop and AMC. The report adds the SEC is specifically looking for misinformation meant to improperly tilt the market. So maybe pump and dumps possibly under investigation there at the SEC. Let's turn now back to the broader markets as stocks fight this morning to keep their winning streak alive. And your next guest says big technology may continue to lead the charge in pushing the markets higher, though profit taking may be on tap at least short term. Joining us now is Jeff Kilberg. You know him, founder and CEO of KKM Financial. Jeff, thank you very much for being here. The big tech story was 2020. It's beginning to be 2021 as well. That trend continues. Is it good for the markets? Dom, I think it is good for the market, but you're absolutely right. The theme that we saw, not just in 2020, but also in 2019, is the domination of the giant cap tech. And sure enough, this week, we really were impressed with Google and Amazon. And let's not slight Amazon. I know the stock didn't respond the way some investors want, but they had a lights out quarter. But Google, that was really interesting to see such a large giant tech cap name move up nearly 10% yesterday. So by and large, I guess my point is yes. I am impressed with Google. I know we're all looking for Super Bowl Sunday, but we had our Super Bowl this week. And when you see Google and Amazon make up about 15% of the NASDAQ 100, that makes me optimistic that we can see the NASDAQ, we can see that tech leadership move higher. But when we look at a technical perspective, we are seeing a little bit of relative strength weaken in technology. So it makes a lot of sense in the world to book some profits to maybe move that rotation trade, bring it front and center where you can trim that exposure. Look at XLK. If you're at long XLK, you can trim some of that exposure. We are seeing a lot of the blue chip names. We call them the essential names. We are seeing them get some love specific in the industrial sector. All right. So so can we dig into that that tech that the, the technical side of the technology trade? Because there has been more of a rotation even within technology. You mentioned Amazon and Alphabet. Amazon had a banner year last year. We know why. The pandemic, people shop more, people used more web services. But Alphabet was a real laggard last year. Now it's up massively to start the year. Is it just this idea that there's a catch-up trade in play? And is that going to drive the technology narrative in 2021? 
I think that's a piece of the puzzle. When you look at Apple, when you look at Microsoft, certainly in comparison to Google, Google was up about 30% on a one-year perspective, where you saw Apple up about 75%. So there is a little bit of a catch-up trade there, no doubt about it. But I think when you really drill down on the Google earnings, it's talking about YouTube. I know my seven-year-old daughter has done her fair share of watching YouTube videos during the pandemic, but YouTube went up 50%. So maybe there's a spinoff opportunity inside of Google. It's really interesting to see how Google started hitting on all cylinders as they were kind of forgotten about. The euphoria around Apple and Facebook and Amazon certainly was uh, something that I think we do see a catch-up trade, but also it's just the diversity of Google's business. I think they have so many businesses under their umbrella. Let's call them Alphabet. I know we don't like to call them Alphabet, but look at all the, the plethora of companies inside of that, and that's been the driving force. What's the thing that worries you the most about what's happening in the market right now We've mentioned that the short squeeze stocks, we've mentioned some dislocations in the market because of things like the IPOs that are coming to market and the special purpose acquisition companies and maybe signs of froth there. What's the thing that has people like you, traders, worried about the continued upside in the market? Well, it's the Fed policy component. If there's a potential mistake in Fed policy, I know there's been some Fed presidents speaking about where rates are going. I believe Fed Chairman Paul continues to articulate the fact that we're going to see low interest rates. I've seen the 10-year yield move up in the last couple of days. I also have concern about the U.S. dollar index, highest it's been in over a month, looking back above 91. So that could be a short-term headwind. But bigger picture, Dom, I think that ripple, that big, large stone that was thrown in the pond and caused all the ripples from GameStop, from AMC, I think that is starting to calm down. But you have to take note. That was one of the largest volatility, intraday volatility moves. We saw the VIX move up over 60% in that day. So there are reverberations. We're still digesting. But we're going to get back front and center talking about blue chip names. We're also going to be talking about Fed policy. And more importantly, we're going to talk about what the administration will be focused on from a spending perspective as well as infrastructure. All right. Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. You too, Don. Now to Washington, D.C., where congressional Democrats have taken the first steps towards approving that massive $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, foregoing Republican support. This as President Biden prepares to make his first foreign policy speech as well. Tracy Potts is standing by in Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Tracy, good morning. Dom, good morning. We heard during the inauguration President Biden say that he wants to restore and repair America's alliances and engage with the world. Today at the State Department, we could find out how he plans to do that. At the State Department today, the Associated Press reports President Biden will announce allowing eight times more refugees into the United States, reversing former President Trump's drastic cuts while continuing to fight COVID. The federal government's first two mass vaccination sites just opened in California. Averaging 1.3 million shots a day, the U.S. is on track to meet Biden's 100-day goal. The CDC reports the death rate is slowing down and new cases are back at Thanksgiving levels. The recent decline in hospitalizations gives us hope that the number of deaths should start to decrease in the coming week. Stimulus payments and other relief still stuck on Capitol Hill. I think we'll get some recovery. Democrats are preparing to go it alone. The rushed budget process that will play out this week is exactly exactly the wrong path toward making 
law. The House votes today on whether to strip freshman Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments for pushing QAnon conspiracies and violence against Democrats. Leader Kevin McCarthy condemned Greene but declined to take action. Kevin McCarthy needs to clean that situation up. They actually want to see uh, the Ethics Committee deal with this first. Dom. All right, Tracy Potts with the latest out of Washington. So much to keep an eye on. Thank you very much for staying on top of all that for us, Tracy. When we come back on the show, the exclusive social platform Clubhouse seeing a big boom as the invite-only app makes its way into China. Eunice Yoon takes us inside the craze over Clubhouse over there. Plus, American Airlines once again warning employees of potential furloughs amid that fight over COVID aid. And RBC Capital's Halima Croft lays out the Biden administration's new energy policies and how it can shore up support on some big shifts. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's take a look at some of the sectors and stocks you need to keep an eye on. First, check out what's happening with the iShares Russell 2000 ETF, the Invesco QQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500 just on a year-to-date basis. The small caps continue to outperform up about 9%, and now the QQQ trust, the NASDAQ, is up about 4.5%, and the Spider S&P 500 is up 2%. So you can see that small cap lead has been extending over the course of the last several months here. We'll see if that trend continues. It could be a sign of some coronavirus optimism in the overall market and economy. Next, though, check out that COVID trade as well, the recovery trade, if you will. These two ETFs, Energy, the XLE, the ticker there, up 10% so far on a year-to-date basis. Meanwhile, consumer staples down 3.5%. The reason why some traders are looking at that as the coronavirus optimism trade is because energy is showing some signs of recovery, possibly for more fuel demand coming up. And consumer staples companies, many of whom make some of the cleaning products and sanitizing products that we use, are now moving a little bit lower. So that gap is starting to widen there as well. Watch that trend and see if that continues. And then the two stocks that have arguably been the most important to the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100 are Alphabet and Tesla. You heard Jeff Kilberg mention it last the last few minutes. The Alphabet shares on a year-to-date basis up about 18%. Tesla's up 21%. Why is that important? These two stocks, in terms of mega cap tech and consumer discretionary communication services, make up roughly 5.5% 
of the overall S&P 500 weighting, and those guys are off to the races this year. So watch again, Tesla and Alphabet driving a lot of the market action. Well, the invite-only social media application Clubhouse is seeing a surge in interest following Tesla CEO Elon Musk's conversation with Robinhood's founder on it. In China, access to the platform is in such demand, it has fueled a second-hand market for invites. Yunus Yun is in Beijing with more on that. So Clubhouse, all the rage. Tell us why in China. <laughs> Dom, Clubhouse referral codes are going today for $30 on the secondary market. Um, it's basically because Elon Musk has a huge fan following here. And uh, that interview really just stirred up a big frenzy to join Clubhouse, uh, so much so that a crypto a, a cryptocurrency entrepreneur named J- Justin Sun, who is really quite famous here for winning a bid to have lunch with Warren Buffett for $4.6 million, decided to launch his own Chinese version of an audio-only app. It's called Two. Of course, I believe Clubhouse uh, is the social trend right now. Uh, and it's going to be very popular in China uh, uh, in the future. But it feels like, to me, it's like the around like 2014, 15, when Tesla first get into China. So everybody is crazy, crazy about like Tesla, right? But you can see like after six, five years after this trend, this kind of the uh, uh, new energy car has become like much more popular in China. So I, I think these kind of the scenes uh, going to be the same. So the way that Sun sees his app as different is that it's going to be Android focused. He also said it's not going to be invitation only. Instead, he wants to bring in more um, ordinary people, he says. And then also it's going to prioritize emerging markets, though he does want to go global. So he does want to see this app in developed markets as well. And then finally, he ran ran through some numbers uh, for me, saying that currently they have 500,000 monthly active users. His target for this year is to expand to 10 million registered users Dumb, just because he does see a lot of potential in the excitement, he says, of, of chatting with your friends, dipping in and out of different groups, all just audio. So no pressure to have to, like, put on your makeup and be camera ready. Uh, I mean, so, so Eunice, let, let's talk about that. How, how is it that audio only apps like Clubhouse will survive given everything that we've seen with regard to video and, 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 and all the other clips that we have to kind of keep an eye on? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's tricky uh, because I, I asked uh, Justin this as well uh, because of the fact that especially these days, the controls here are quite tight on information sharing. Uh, but uh, he said that because uh, there are, you know, as you know, lots of different technologies here in China and a lot of them survive as long as they follow the rules of the, the country that they're in. Uh, so he, he does think that the overall trend and excitement over being able to, to chit-chat and what he sees as not only a trend here in China, but also globally, will uh, supersede uh, some of the concerns um, from the authorities. How about censorship and restrictions? Any concerns there? 
Oh, yeah. No, no, uh, definitely some concerns for people who use it. Uh, Sun said that he's not so concerned, again, because he's going to be uh, sticking to the regulations. But, you know, there are people who do share information right now um, on these app, uh, these audio only uh, uh, chat rooms. And then they're talking about all sorts of stuff that maybe the authorities here might like. So that is a concern going forward. All right. Clubhouse, the latest craze in China. Eunice Yoon, thank you very much for that update there. Still on deck for the show, gauging investor sentiment on short squeeze volatility. Investopedia's editor-in-chief breaks down a new survey on the hot topic that's gripping markets these days. Keep it right here. Today's big number, $27.7 trillion. That's how much public debt the U.S. had at the end of 2020, according to the Treasury Department, a record high. The Treasury expects borrowing related to the costs of COVID-19 to remain elevated through 2021. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Dom, good morning to you. The battle for the future of the Republican Party is ending in a truce, at least for now. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy decided not to strip the controversial QAnon believer Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments. The full House will vote on that today. And the third most powerful Republican in the House, Liz Cheney, survived an effort to strip her leadership role after voting to impeach former President Trump. Two Kansas City Chiefs players are on the reserve COVID-19 list after the team's barber tested positive for coronavirus. ESPN is reporting 20 people, including quarterback Patrick Mahomes, were in line for a haircut. But only Daniel Kilgore and Demarcus Robinson were deemed in close contact with the barber. The two can still play in the Super Bowl if they produce five straight negative tests. Kansas City plans to travel to Tampa on Saturday for Sunday's game. And finally, a different kind of foam party in Argentina. Look at that. Heaps of sea foam carpeting the beaches at the resort city of Mar del Plata. Uh, The foam is produced when seaweed gets tossed around by strong ocean waves. It's not toxic. Uh, This phenomenon surprised those beachgoers who wasted no time getting some much-needed fun in the sun. Dom, the southern hemisphere... Sounding pretty good right about now. Uh, I often forget that in the Southern Hemisphere, it's summertime right now and people are on the beach. But there seems like there's something that should be therapeutic about swimming in seaweed foam, right? Yeah, I'm sure uh, spas will charge a lot of money for uh, the privilege. (laughs) That's a new trend. And Philip Mena brought it to us first. Thank you very much, Philip. Have a great day, sir. All right, you too. Still on deck for the show, shares of PayPal on the rise this morning. As you can see, they're up 5% following its quarterly results. We dive into what's fueling that climb. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app as we take a look at Times Square in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this.
Good morning. Futures pointing to green arrows at the opening bell as the S&P looks to build on its three-day winning streak. A developing corporate story. Sources tell CNBC Apple is close to a deal with Hyundai Kia to manufacture an Apple-branded car. Plus, could this be a match made in real estate heaven? We'll bring you the story of apartment developers now looking at hotels. It's Thursday, February 4th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. As you can see, we are seeing some modest gains in the major indexes. The S&P is implied higher by roughly six points. The Dow implied higher by 34 points and the Nasdaq implied higher by roughly 53. Now, this after the Dow and the S&P both eked out slight gains in yesterday's trade, the Nasdaq dipping slightly amid a drop in Amazon shares. Still, though, all three indices are looking at solid gains this week. It's only Thursday. We haven't even started yet, but we're up two and a half to four percent on the week. This morning, investors will be watching that closely watched weekly jobless claims number out at 830 a.m. Eastern time ahead of tomorrow's very big monthly employment report from the Labor Department. Well, making headlines this morning, sources tell CNBC Apple is close to finalizing a deal with Hyundai Kia to manufacture an Apple branded car. The autonomous electric vehicles would be made at a Kia assembly plant in West Point, Georgia. The Apple car is tentatively scheduled to go into production in 2024. Apple shares up one and a half percent pre-market. Shares of PayPal rising this morning. The digital payments company posting better than expected quarterly results. Total payment volumes rose 39 percent year over year, and the company added 16 million net new accounts in the fourth quarter. Those PayPal stock shares are up 5 percent in the pre-market trade. And American Airlines is warning 13,000 workers that they could face furloughs next month. That's when a second round of federal payroll aid is set to expire. In a note to staff, American CEO said, quote, the vaccine is not being distributed as quickly as any of us believed, and new restrictions on international travel that require customers to have a negative COVID-19 test have dampened demand, end quote. United Airlines has also warned 14,000 of its staff about the possibility of furloughs as well. They can happen sometime in early April if no new COVID relief is not passed before then. Now to politics and your money. President Biden has hit the ground running with a slew of executive orders in his first two weeks in office. Among the top priorities, energy and climate change policy, both at home and abroad as well. For more, let's bring in Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. She's also a CNBC contributor. Good morning, Halima. Let's talk about your role. You've worked in an analyst capacity in the government before. You've done it here on Wall Street. What's your first read? What is President Biden's energy policy? Well, I mean, President Biden has been very clear. He's looking to speed the transition away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible. And we think the acid test for this administration, when it comes to pipeline permitting, when it comes to issues like, will you get leases renewed for drilling on federal lands, is does it get you to net zero by 2050? And they really talk about climate-infusing all aspects of government policy, whether it be at the State Department, whether it be at the National Security Council, domestic policy. So again, I think it's a very, very ambitious climate goal. They're looking at this $2 trillion plan to help drive renewables growth, electrification of the vehicle fleet. Again, though, 
the question will be, how much can you get through Congress? There's things that you can do through executive order. Having to make compromises with Congress is going to be the challenge on a lot of this. Where do you deploy the, the, the political capital early on, Halima? I mean, there's only so much to go around. It's not unlimited. Where do you focus the efforts if you are the Biden administration? On certain projects, certain types of things? Is it solar versus wind? Is it trying to reduce carbon emissions? What exactly then do you say, hey, this is what I'm going to really throw my support into? When you want to look at what you can get done with Republicans, it looks like there's a bipartisan movement developing for things like tax breaks for wind and solar. I mean, look where some of these jobs are. They are in states like Texas. So that looks like an early win. Also, things like carbon capture, utilization and storage. It looks like there's broad bipartisan support for that. Interestingly enough, there's also seemingly support for advanced civilian nuclear technology. So those look like the areas where you can drive support from both sides of the aisle. I think it's going to be trickier on things like phasing out subsidies for fossil fuels. That's going to require potentially changes to the tax code. I think you could see opposition from Rust Belt Democrats on things like that. So I think it's going to be, you know, a series of, you know, congressional infrastructure bills. We're going to start to see this again. They're going to rely on executive orders for things like, again, the issue of drilling on federal lands. They came out with a pause on that. A number of companies already have licenses for drilling. It's not an immediate issue. But when you think about a couple years out when these companies are looking to get new permits, will they be able to get them? Those are the kind of questions I think we're going to be looking for. So I'm also curious. Many of these efforts are of strategic importance to the U.S., you could argue, especially when it comes to energy independence. You used to be at the CIA. You used to look at these things from kind of a national security perspective. What exactly is the most important stuff that the U.S. needs to do on the energy front, whether it's petrochemicals, whether it's renewables, to secure its energy future in the Biden administration's time at the helm? Well, I think what's really interesting is you brought up the whole issue of energy independence. You know, the Trump administration talked about energy dominance. And an interesting question is going to be if you're looking to potentially, you know, shrink the footprint of U.S. drilling. They're not talking about banning fracking. They're not talking about banning U.S. oil and gas exports. But they are signaling that they are looking to essentially shrink the footprint of drilling over time. The question is, does that undercut your foreign policy of American energy independence? Are you potentially going to be more reliant on oil and gas from traditional fossil fuel producers? So I think that's going to be an interesting question. I do think when it comes to foreign policy, it's going to influence potentially how we deal with China. We absolutely want China to continue the policy of coal displacement. We want them for sort of global climate accords. So the question is, how much do you give into China to get sort of progress on climate issues? And does that potentially impact how you deal with them on others? The Biden administration has been clear that the need to get China on board on the climate front is not going to impact how they deal with them on issues like Hong Kong, the Uyghurs, intellectual property. But we just have to see what type of compromises potentially will be made. All right. Halima Croft at RBC Capital Markets. Thank you very much. Always great to get your expertise. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Coming up on the show, why hotels could be the solution to some real estate developers problems. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top headlines, the European Union and UK are reportedly set to open probes into NVIDIA's proposed $40 billion acquisition of chip designer Arm Holdings. This, according to the Financial Times, chip rivals have called for the deal to be blocked. 
Qualcomm shares are lower this morning following a mixed quarterly report. Earnings beat Wall Street estimates, but revenues did fall shy. And consulting giant McKinsey & Company reportedly agreeing to a $573 million settlement with states over its work advising Purdue Pharma and other opioid companies. The deal is expected to be announced later on today. Keep that in mind when you're watching those top stories. Stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Finding an affordable apartment was hard enough before the pandemic. Now things are even worse. As land, labor, and material costs climb higher, builders say putting up new affordable housing has become not so affordable. That's why some developers are looking at hotels. Hotels, believe it or not. Diana Olick has more of the story of match made in real estate heaven. How is it that we can turn hotels into apartments? Minneapolis kind of looks like a hotel. That's because it recently was one. But just before the pandemic struck, developer David Peters bought it and converted it to Town Square Place, mostly affordable apartment units with some remaining hotel rooms. What we saw when the pandemic struck is, is we saw even, even more demand, I think, for the uh, micro-apartment style affordable housing. The shortage is now critical. Affordable so-called Class C apartments are 96% occupied nationally, 99% occupied in the Midwest, according to RealPage. Pricier Class A apartments are more plentiful. Meanwhile, hotels are in deep trouble. The share of hotels currently behind on their mortgages rose to just over 18% in December, according to Fitch Ratings. That's even worse than retail real estate. But it creates an opportunity for investors like Peters to buy properties to convert at bargain basement prices. Suite hotels are the easiest to do, while regular rooms require a bit more work. But it's all far less expensive than building new. We can offer the the potential residents a better value, and we can offer the investors a good solid return. Michelle Wickstrom was relieved to get a place at Town Square. It's hard to find anything that's affordable or within my price range and without having to have three months' rent or three months of your income. It's kind of a win-win-win. The community wins, the residents win, the investors win. Peters has two other hotel conversions under contract, one in Minnesota and one in South Dakota, which he's getting for about half the value it was appraised at three years ago. He compares this to what happened during the subprime mortgage crisis a decade ago. Millions of homeowners defaulted on their mortgages and investors came in to buy the properties and convert them into lucrative rental housing. Dom? This is a fascinating story to me because this is the crisis can lead to opportunity type thing. First of all, Dinah, how difficult is it to convert these given all the strict zoning regulations, uh, the types of things you can do with certain types of properties? I mean, do you expect to see a lot more of this even as hotels recover? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a little bit tricky because the zoning for a hotel is different for the zoning as a multifamily apartment building. But you can keep some of the units as hotels, as he did in one of these properties in Minneapolis. But he also says you just want to work with the local municipalities because they need affordable housing. And they certainly don't want an empty hotel sitting there with no use. So they will want to work with developers. They do want to get it done. He says it's really not that difficult at all. And we are seeing other investors do this in other states as well. So I 
I think you're going to see a lot of this as we try to get more affordable housing. And investors, you know, they're looking for a good return. And this certainly is one. Diana, speaking of speaking of the, the, the governments at play right now, when it comes to affordable housing, there are often incentives for developers to put up those kinds of properties. How much do those incentives, i.e. tax breaks or anything like that, play into the economics behind the investments in these types of conversions? They absolutely help a lot. And you're going to see more of that under the Biden administration. We've already heard about that from the Department of uh, housing and development. So you will see more of this. You will see more of it going to investors. The issue, though, is that we still are seeing really exorbitant costs for builders. You're seeing it on the residential side as well as on the multifamily side for land, labor and materials. And when you talk to these developers, they say for Class C, it just this is what they use. It doesn't pencil. That means that the amount of money they're going to have to spend to put up a building without high rents is just not going to give them that kind of return. They do get incentives, but the costs are very high. So this is one way where the costs are a lot lower to get these buildings into good use. All right. Real estate distress turning into real estate opportunity. Diana Oleg, thank you very much for that story. We appreciate it. Now back to the markets. Things appear to be leveling off following the increased volatility tied to those short squeeze stocks. And Investopedia has a new survey gauging investor sentiment amid those wild swings in the market. For more now, I am joined by Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief over at Investopedia. So has it taken a a bit of a hit, investor sentiment, because of the volatility that we've seen, Caleb? Good morning, Dom. And it's really the trust that took a hit. The the volatility, the ferocity of the day trading and the backlash between traders and institutions over the last week has really hit our readers uh, in their trust factor. So about 42% say they trust the stock market less than they did six months ago just because of the wild swings and all the action of the past week. In terms of their sentiment, though, they're still bullish. Uh, They still think that equities, especially large cap equities, are the way to go. We've been surveying them since last February before the pandemic was actually official. They've remained bullish, pulled back a little bit. They're still there. But this has really done a number on trust, Dom. So if it's really done a number on trust, what do you anticipate will be the ramifications? Does this bring more investors into the fold that weren't there before? Does it then take investors that were at the fringes and push them out because they've lost something in, in terms of the volatility What exactly is the overall health of the business, given what we've seen? Well, we've seen the online brokers bring on millions of customers in the last year without question, some of them more than others. But I think folks, especially who are new to trading and new to investing, thought that you just put some money in and everything went up. And that has been true, really, for the last couple of years. The last couple of weeks, though, has been all over the place with some of the hotly day traded short stocks. I think some folks came into the market, made some early trades, probably lost a little bit of money, and that's going to knock some people out. But we see this at every cycle when we have a lot of trading mania and a lot of new people coming into the market. I think you'll get a balance of folks who are in, which is very good. But without that education to actually know what they're doing, they, they run the chance of losing money. That said, most of our readers, and these are active investors of all ages, are still bullish. They're still bullish on big tech. And a lot of them, 25% of them actually day traded some of these stocks. So I think the net Dom, is that you'll see more people actively involved in the markets. And that's a new dynamic for both institutional investors and retail investors to consider. So so one of the things that we've also seen a lot of controversy and heat around in this discussion around short squeeze volatility is whether or not brokers should be responsible for some of the volatility trading rules that have been put into place. I hearken specifically to Robinhood halting trading or severely restricting some of them in terms of those short traded stocks and the options around them. 
is, is there something out there that, that tells us that those broker rules are in focus for many of these traders, knowing that they are in positions and maybe can't get out as easily or into them as easily? Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked that. I think part of the trust factor was not just the stock market might be rigged, as some people say, but some people were very disappointed with their online platform. 63% of our readers said they don't want their broker to tell them when they can and can't trade or what they can and can't trade. So they don't like those rules. They don't like uh, to be limited when the market gets very volatile, because as we know, some people couldn't get out of trades. So their disappointment and the lack of trust really extends from markets to platforms. And platforms have a lot of work to do to bring investors and traders back into the trust tent, so to speak. But that said, a lot of them came in in the last year. And I think brokers are listening now to what these folks are saying. And you'll see some adjustments and you'll see some movement within that industry. But they've been in focus a lot by our readers who, who are active investors. They use these platforms and tools every single day. Now, before we let you go, one of the other things also with regard to the brokerage side of the controversy is this notion that the brokerages did what they did for self-preservation. Do you think that a lot of your readers and survey takers understand that a lot of what happened was because they couldn't make good possibly on some financial obligations, and that's why those trading restrictions went into play? Yeah, I think we have some very sophisticated readers and, and traders who visit our site who know that. I think a lot of other people don't even read the terms of agreement, don't even know that that's kind of how the brokers work. And they were doing that for their own businesses and maybe even to protect their customers. I don't think they really paid too much attention to that. I think it was the, you know, the black and white of, oh, my gosh, my stock that I bought is losing money and I can't get out of my trade or it's going up and I can't get in. That's frustrating for people, especially new to the market that don't understand the rules. So it's a learning curve for both retail traders who are new and also the, the brokers and the platforms that are bringing all these people on. This is a new relationship, but it's also, Dom, going to be the new dynamic going forward because millions of people have come into the market. And that's probably a good thing. And this story is not over yet, uh, either from the market side or the regulatory side. Caleb Silver at Investopedia. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Coming up, red flags. Yes, why some market indicators could be signaling for a pullback in stocks. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us here live on air, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcast app of choice is. Worldwide Exchange podcast. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now pointing to some modest gains at the opening bell. The Dow implied higher by roughly 44 points and the S&P higher by roughly seven. Joining me now is Howard Capital Management CEO and Portfolio Manager, Vance Howard. Vance, thank you very much for being here this morning. Let's take us through a little bit about the market narrative right now. As an investor that invests money for clients in mutual fund format, what exactly is the thing that has you the most excited about why the market should be where they are right now? Well, you know, our proprietary indicator, the HCM byline, has been just spot on on trading through the pandemic and even now, and it's positive right now. And any pullback we see in the HCM byline, we see as a buying opportunity. Like last Friday and all the uh, the turmoil, you know, we were any cash we had on the sidelines, we were putting to work. I think this market is poised for a great breakout here. You know, we keep looking at some of these FANG stocks. You know, Microsoft is starting to break out. Uh, Alphabet's been breaking out. A lot of them have had these, you know, four, five, six, seven-month uh trading ranges and it looks like they're breaking out of those so you know we're bullish all could we get a little bit of a pullback of course we could but you know you look at what's going on with the pandemic what's going on with the economy and i i can't imagine that why people investors wouldn't be investing right now all right so so hcm byline all right i i, I don't want you to give the store away i don't want you to kind of go through the secret recipe and all the herbs and spices that go into it 
but that's an, um, a technical indicator that you've developed. What exactly are some of the factors that go into that kind of buy-sell indicator that you have, and why is it pointing more towards buy these days? Well, the HCM byline is all math-driven. Everything we do at Howard Capital Management has to be math-driven. We wish that we were so smart that we, we knew what the market was going to do tomorrow or next week. We, we're just not that smart. We have to trade math. That's the backbone of our whole firm, and that's one reason that we've had such great success. If the HCM byline is positive, we're 100% invested. If it turns negative, we start to scale out. You know, it's been a year since the market fell apart with the pandemic. In February, the end of February, uh, in the beginning of March, we were almost 60, 65 percent in cash. And then the HCM byline went positive again the, the first week of April. By the second week of April last year, we were 100 percent invested. Were we that smart to know that the pandemic w- w- was going to start to uh, start to ease up or the economy was going to start to turn around or the stock market was going to turn around? The answer is no. But math did. And I don't know how people can trade in an emotional uh, situation. I think they just make mistakes with that. So everything we have, we do has to be quantitatively driven and math driven. And the byline's positive right now. So any pullback we see is an opportunity to pick up stock. What goes into the byline, though? I mean, what kind of factors are you looking at? Are they technicals for the charts from the math perspective? Are there certain indicators, economic de- data points? What exactly? What are one of the one or one or one or two of those things that the byline looks at to say buy or sell? We math derive it a lot from the equity curve of what the market's actually doing. So it is a proprietary calculation. Some of it's based on new highs to new lows on the New York and the, and the, and the, uh, the NASDAQ. And anytime you've got a, a market that's making you know, a whole lot of new 30-day new highs, six-month new highs, 52-week new highs, that's telling you a lot about the strength of the market. And also on the opposite side, if you're making a whole lot of new 30-day new lows, six-month new low, 52-week new lows, something's wrong. And you may not need to know what the answer to that wrong is, but what you need to know is that you need to get out of the way that there's more sellers than there are buyers and the market's going lower. That's not the case right now. The HCM byline is very strong. And um, we're quite bullish over here at Howard Capital Management. All right, Vance. So so let's say that you're quite bullish right now. Rubber meets the road here. What are you buying then if if you think that the market is, is, is to be bought on every dip? You know, this is an interesting question. I think it's a great question. You know, last, uh, last uh, year when I was on your international station, there, we were looking at buying small caps. Last year, we were the math was putting us in small cap growth, small cap value. We've been picking up a lot of small caps by way of ETFs, not so much the individual stocks. But even on the stocks right now, as far as technology goes, there's so many great technology stocks, even the old classics, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet. All these are very viable. Amazon, they're very viable stocks right now. And I think they're going to do great in 2021. All right. So with that in mind, what's your biggest fear for 2021? Something that we can't we don't we can't see coming. Um, that's I think that's any money manager's great, great fear is the, the great unknown of, the, of, of, of uh, some disturbance overseas or an international event. Or what if this pandemic just, you know, a new new version of it breaks out and, and, and starts to mutate? Those are the kind of things that we can't control. What we can do, though, is we can develop systems that take the emotion out of the equation, such as the HCM byline, rely on math instead of fear and what we don't know. And so that's one reason that we trade math. We take the emotion of fear out of it. All right. Vance Howard, Howard Capital Management, thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate your thoughts. Hey, thank you. All right, let's take a look at the markets on the way out here. We can see the Dow implied higher by roughly 40 to 50 points, the S&P higher by roughly 7, and the Nasdaq higher implied by about 58 points. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up all the market coverage, and it comes up next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.